Welcome to Ryanair's Try Somewhere New podcast with us, Andrew and Emily from Along Dusty Roads. We're a travel blogging couple with a mission to help people travel more and travel better. In this series, we're going to be exploring five different European destinations to give you a little flavour of the travel experience in each and some inspiration for your own trip. In this episode, we're in the beautiful city of Porto in Portugal. So we have just arrived in Porto. We touched down in the airport about an hour ago. Yep. And then it was a quick jump over to the metro yep. line, which takes us in it uh, into the city centre. And this is our second time in Porto, isn't it? It is. The first time was a couple of years ago. So what is Porto? It's kind of like the second city of Portugal. The main part of Porto where lots of travellers and city breakers mm-hmm. are going to come to is based on the riverside. There's two banks of the river and you've got yep. Gaia on one side where all the port yep. production is. Exactly. And then you've got old Porto in Ribeira. Ribeira. Yep. And we're both terrible at Portuguese, by the way, so... Yeah, I think we're going to butcher the language quite a lot. Oh, it's so difficult. <laughs> so I remember last time we spent, we did spend most of our time in the old town. Yeah. I don't think we really explored much beyond that. So I'm looking forward to sort of seeing what else the city has to offer. So I think that's probably enough talking. Should we go and get a drink? Yeah. So we are currently in the Graham's Wine Bar and we're just going to go through the double doors and just notice the sun has come out and we want to go and check out this view. Oh, wow. Oh, it's just lovely. From one side, you can see Via Gaia, and the other side, you can see Porto. It's a red roofs, a river straight ahead, with this really, really fantastic metal bridge that apparently has some of the great views back on us. And so this is where you can come and sit and have a port cocktail overlooking Porto. As you might guess, the thing Porto is best known for is the production of port wine. So we make a stop at Graham's Port Wine Cellar to learn about Porto's eponymous drink and, of course, to try some for ourselves. Wow, can you smell that? This smells incredible. So we have just walked from the restaurant into this cavernous cellar, which is just wall-to-wall port barrels. It's, the smell is incredible. As you probably already know, there are two main styles of ports, a tawny style and the ruby style. All these wines will start off their life in the same way, and after that first winter in the Dodo Valley, will be sent down here for aging. Now when it arrives here, we will place these wines into the large oak vats you see behind you. Even after aging here for two to six years in these large vats, these wines will still retain a lot of their vibrancy, both in colour but also in flavours and aromas. So we will have a wine that is still bright red, ruby in colour, and we'll have the nice fresh dark fruit that we know as the ruby style flavours. So if we decide to, after four, five years in these large vats, decide to place them into the smaller casks we see here, we're going to be aging for much longer and we are actually promoting the oxidative aging process. And you'll notice that uh, within the first few years they will quickly start to change. They'll alter their flavours and aromas but also their colours. It will lose that vibrant red ruby colour and start to slowly turn to brown autumn colours that we know as tawny colours. It will lose that fresh fruitiness within the first few years concentrating into a sweet fruity jam like flavour and aroma. Then, after a few years, going to the dried fruits, the more oxidized fruit flavor, and after even, uh, let's say, 20 to 30 years, we're even getting nice nuttiness coming through. 
And if we leave them even longer, we can start to get some slight spice coming through. Cinnamon, hints of uh, coffee and tobacco leaf with the 40-year-old and older. So it's definitely a lot of changes, a lot of alterations throughout the years just to, to different styles of aging and different containers. Onward for a port tasting in the cellar's beautiful and very grand vintage room. Uh, we start with the six grapes, our reserve ruby. Then we have two tawnies, so the 10-year-old and the 20-year-old. How much of a port drinker would you have to be to be able to tell the difference between a 20-year-old and a 10-year-old, or conversely, the 20-year-old and 30-year-old? Well, uh, you can taste them right now, and I think you'll be able to, to easily okay. tell the difference. Okay. In the 10-year-old, I'm sure you'll notice the dried fruits. Uh, the 20-year-old, uh, maybe not a huge leap, but you'll notice the nuttiness, the almonds coming through, and I think that will be an easy telltale okay. sign to distinguish these two, at least. Okay. I still haven't picked up how to say cheers in Portuguese. I think it's saúde, but my saúde. Portuguese is so terrible. Saúde? Saúde? Cheers, okay. anyway. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Much easier to say. Oh, that's nice. It's really sweet. It is very sweet. I think it might actually be a little too sweet for me. It's terribly drinkable. Like, I could not back way too much of that. And the next one is this, as I said, very light, so just giving it a bit of swirl here in our glass. It's got the slight tartness that mm. you were talking about, and there's a sweet taste to begin with, but it goes off much sooner. Okay, that's a nice pour. I like Let's that. Let's see one. if we can tell the difference. Okay. okay. Yes, I can tell the difference. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's oh, that's really nice. That's really nice. I don't think I'll be able to afford the. Uh, what was it the 1882 600? Oh yeah, Euro. 600 <laughs> euros a glass and 8,500 euros a yeah, bottle. Maybe next trip. <laughs> but yeah. for the for the moment, this 20 year old Tony's doing a very good job for me. So. The next morning, after sleeping off our port from the night before, we head out into Porto's old town to explore. Every place you go, you'll always find little quirks that tell you exactly where you are, and Porto is no exception. We are currently standing outside the Igreja dos Carmelitas, and the reason we've come here is because it is probably one of the city's most beautiful examples of uh, azulejos. Now, Anyone that's been to Portugal is going to recognise these. They are so completely iconic. They are these little tiles, ceramic tiles, and classically painted blue and white. Sometimes they're very, very simple. Sometimes they're completely ornate and become little individual works of art in their own right. They amazingly actually started off being Spanish, but in the, about the 16th century came here and initially were used for decorating quite grand structures. Now you'll find them in people's bathrooms, decorating the edges of park benches next to beaches. They are literally everywhere. And the facades of so many houses in Porto are covered in them. And like, so all the different colours and so the iconic scenes that you see down by the riverfront of Porto of the colourful houses, it's, it's due to the azuelos. Like They have pops of red and yellow and green, the ones down there. Yeah, green, green and yellow are the second most popular ones after okay. the blue and white ones. The blue and white are the most popular. And so what are we seeing just now on the, on the Greja dos Carmelitas in front of us? So it's this huge, vast church, and each tile is making up this huge pattern that goes all the way from the bottom to three stories up. I don't know about you, Andrew, but I honestly think this is a landmark that can't be missed. 
And speaking of things that can't be missed, Emily has another recommendation that she's particularly passionate about. So we're here in Confiteria de Borjao and it's a little cafe which has actually been here since 1896. So it's a bit of a Porto institution. Yeah. It is said that some of the best pastel de natas are produced here. For those of you that don't know what pastel de natas are, they are... Anyone who had egg custard? Well, think of egg custard slightly sweeter in this wonderful, um, it's like phyllo pastry, because it's got multiple yeah. layers to it in this little cup. And then they glaze them. So they've always got a little bit of um, blackened, caramelized, very sweet, oh, it's delicious. And it's because they're cooked at such a, a high temperature very, very quickly. And they're bloody delicious, and basically you cannot come to Porto yeah. or anywhere in Portugal and not try and eat, well, many, 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 yeah. at least one a day. So, Anna, who's a Porto native and has been showing us around the city a little bit, has informed us that she thinks the best pastel de nata in Porto are at this place, which is quite new, called Mantegaria. It's this big, airy, very modern white building, actually just right down the road from Confiteria do Bojao. Yeah. So we thought, I mean, it's not a bad way to spend an hour actually doing a little taste test to yeah. see. It would be rude to not make the comparison, really. I think it yeah. had to be done. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the people need to know. <laughs> so we have two lovely golden uh, pastel de nata in front of us, and so far they seem to favour um, a higher custard to pastry ratio, which mm. I'm quite happy about. Mm. So, Emily, do you want to do the honours? Oh. It's slightly more creamy. Oh, that custard the is... The custard um, is slightly creamier, isn't it? Oh, that's real. It's definitely a creamier custard. Yeah. Smoother. Oh, it's incredibly sweet, though. Oh, there's less pastry, actually. Look how much thinner that is. You were right about the pastry to custard ratio. Yeah. All right. I think I need to go and buy one from across the way. No, you can't. <laughs> So it's, what time is it now? About five, no, six o'clock. Six o'clock. We've come down to the waterfront, and this is the Porto side looking out at uh, Villa Gaia. Villa <laughs> um, And as, as you can hear, there are street performers playing some beautiful piano music. There's people everywhere. Um, it's got, yeah, there's a lot of people. It's, uh, so behind us are these sort of iconic, colourful houses all in a row. On the Porto side, they've got, I suppose, iron rot uh, balconies, uh, pinks, blues, red doors. It's so, so colourful. And then on the wash side, there's couples hanging out. There's a few boats going by. The bridge is on the left-hand side. You also have the relatively new cable car as well. But the, one of the things I like the most is you're sitting here at the riverside and you can just see the logos of all these port companies so you have Taylor's, you have Sandeman, you have Barros, you have Ferreira, you have uh, Graham's which we were at for, for the tour and yeah it's just really nice and quiet but you can imagine 100, 150 years ago people taking the barrels from yep. the Douro Valley chugging in, no you wouldn't chug in in a boat like that, you'd, <laughs> Go very, very you'd, slowly. you'd put in in your boat and roll off the barrels and you can imagine the signs, you can imagine the excitement when a boat comes in with the barrels as well from the harvest. Um, really with the blue skies and the sunlight filtering through it, it brings all the colours to life. Yeah. There's just so, it feels so much more vibrant. 
Yeah, and that's what you should have in a place where the walls are covered with different colours. The next day, we decide to venture beyond the riverside city of Porto to the neighbouring seaside city of Matosinhos. So we are here in the market. Um, Matosinhos is a city known for the fish and the fish restaurants. We have the fishing port. The port of the city of Porto is here. And we, have, we are known for the fish restaurants. We have the best fish restaurants in all the north of Portugal, even when in the old country. The fish comes very, very fresh to the, to the market and to the, to the restaurants. So we have just walked into the market and it looks very much like an aircraft hangar. Um, and we walk in and we've got fish stalls on either side. The smell of fish is quite profound. There's the chattering and the noise. It's just bright and airy and white. If somebody came to Porto who's a bit of a foodie and they're really interested about Portuguese food and where it comes from, its origins, and tasting it at its freshest or, or with an authentic vibe. Yeah, I think like, this, this is the sort of place if you really want to understand food in Porto on your trip. Definitely. Coming here is, is showing a completely like, local aspect to it as well. Rather than just going to the restaurant and eating it, you're seeing the producers, the sellers. You're a lot closer. Does Matosinhos receive a lot of tourists from Porto, a lot of people coming for the day, or is it increasing? Before, like, um, I know, five, six years ago, were mainly people that uh, stayed in Porto and came here for the day. But we are now seeing um, interest in staying in Matosinhos. It has the beach, it has the good restaurants, and so it's possible to be here in Matosinhos, go in 20 minutes, 25 minutes, you are in the city centre of Porto, you visit Porto, and at the end of the day you return, you walk on the seaside, you stay in a terrace in front of the sea. In the warmer months it would be lovely. So we've just left the um, the market and we're walking through the centre of Mantuzinhos to get to our restaurant. It's so different to the centre of Porto. Um, first, because it's so quiet. Lots of the buildings, they've I know they've had a lot of renovation here, but still it's very old and traditional. You've got Azulejos just covering the walls. You've got this most amazing typography for buildings that have been around probably sort of since the 40s and 50s. I'm seeing lots of old couples walking hand in hand in fancy outfits, sort of, you know, they don't do casual. It's a little bit like the Italians. They do very, very smart. And guys have got all these suit jackets and, and spectacles and, and shirts. And the ladies are in these little twin sets. And it's quite romantic in a way. Just had a fantastic lunch and we're very, very full. Finish off with a port and it's sunny, so, so sunny here. And we're in Matosinhos and we've just walked along and we're coming up to the beach and there's loads of people here. You can see this massive red fishing net sculpture. The skies are blue and the ocean looks fantastic just now, actually, because I don't associate going to Porto with going to the seaside. No, absolutely ever, not. Ever, actually. No. The first time we were here, we were like, there's the river. And there's fish, there's got to be fishermen, but... There's got to be a sea. There's got to be a sea. Where is the sea? The sea's apparently just down the road, like 10 minutes. Yeah. Sand looks quite nice, it's really big and wide. Yeah, typical sort of Portuguese beaches, and they all seem to be quite wide. It feels really chilled out, and it feels like the sort of place where people, and they are, like, come and jog, come and just walk the dog, yeah. hang out with your family, hang out with your mates. There's a kind of big public park behind it as well, and then you've got the, the glittering ocean. Oh, there's two people surfing as well, but oh, they just fell over. But, it's the first time I've considered this as, a, I guess, a summer holiday destination, not just a city break destination. 
Hold on, Emily. Budgie smugglers alert. Where? Budgie smugglers. Oh my goodness. Twelve o'clock. That is. That, I can see his butt cheeks. Right, moving on quickly. One of the places we really wanted to visit in Matasinos is the Casa de Arquitectura, the Portuguese centre of architecture. Susanna, who runs the education programme at the centre, showed us around. We moved from a small house uh, in 2017, uh, and our main mission is to promote the study of architecture. We have uh, two main forms of doing that. Uh, which is through the archive. Uh, we receive collections uh, from um, living architects or, or that from, from their families or from their uh, co-workers. And also we have two main exhibition spaces, uh, the exhibition hall and the uh, Casas Gallery. And what's the importance of architecture to Matasinos? Uh, well, actually there's um, a very interesting relationship because uh, Álvaro Siza, which is one of the most prestigious Portuguese architects, mm -hmm. his family is from Matosinhos. Okay. So he gave his first steps as an architect in Matosinhos. Okay. Uh, we have the tea house, which is one of the most famous uh, uh, works by Siza. We have the tidal pool. Uh, we also have uh, Quinta de Conceição's pool and his family's house, so this of is course. Kind of an architectural hub within yes. Portugal, and, and, yes. and that's. And so it's because of, of his link here that, that this made that Casa da Arquitectura would be. Yes, okay, yes, okay. yes. For people who are coming here for like a city break or, or to visit for the first time to Porto or Matosinhos, if you think of like Portuguese architecture as being very much what you would see in the old town of Porto yeah. and you know the red roofs oh, and the no. tiles and things. And so to, mm -hmm. to be able to come to somewhere yeah. which actually shows yeah, the more modern more architecture yes. is yes. A, it's a really interesting contrast because we have one idea of what it is and you can see beautiful representations and examples of it, but then to come here to actually learn more about modernity modern, yes. is great. Porto has the most uh, renowned uh, architecture school in Portugal, okay. uh, which is the Porto School, uh, a Porto School where Cesar studies, Sotomora studied. So I think Porto is a really interesting city to discover, not, for, not only for its historical patrimonial or medieval or renaissance, story but for its contemporary architecture which is really very very interesting to discover for sure. So I've just picked up uh, the Matosinos map of the architecture, which is an architecture map for Was the that city. Like self-guided? Yeah, so there's oh, that's such a good idea. how many sites? 43 sites in Matosinos. Oh that's great, so if you're really into architecture. Do a city walk? Just to, yeah, come into the Casa de Arquitectura, pick up this map, and yeah, it's got laid out all over the city. These architectural works of importance. I think the tidal swimming pools next time we come back yeah. by Alvaro Cesar are, de we definitely have to go to those. We couldn't make a trip to Porto without dropping in on the Lelo bookstore. It's a stunning shop that's been a cultural landmark of Porto for over a hundred years. It's gained even more notoriety recently because of connections to J.K. Rowling. She lived in Porto for a couple of years during the 90s, and it's thought that Layla was a source of inspiration for the architecture of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. We were very lucky to sneak in before the bookshop opened one morning to find out the story behind this iconic place. Thank you. 
So we've just stepped into Livaria Lelo and the first thing, well for me, is this staircase. It looks like a DNA helix of wood and leather and it's in the centre of this beautiful two-storey wooden room. And the curves on it are... It's yeah. a work of art in its own right. And the yeah. amount of time that it must have taken, because it's all individually engraved. And it's so special to be in this bookstore before everyone else arrives as well. So we have there's a lady stacking the shelves uh, with new works. There's that just lovely atmosphere of kind of silence and books yeah. together. Calm. Above us, there's this beautiful gold and blue stained glass ceiling, which is, would not be out of place in any cathedral or church. The lighting's low. You can see above us there's... Um, it feels, again, like a church. Yeah. It's got Anna, who works at Lelo, told us about the two brothers who founded this bookshop in 1906. The brothers Lelo, they saw a cathedral and they thought it was an amazing place to have a bookstore. So when they came to Porto, he talked with the mayor and they create all the project, but need to be something completely different, something uh, special and to be historical. So they create like a cathedral inside and it's like our religion are the books. So it's from 1906, uh, as 130 years. And uh, today we have more than 3,000 people per day. Uh, sometimes in the summer we go until 4,000 people. All the architecture, it's the most important part for the most of the visitants, but also the fans of Harry Potter came here all days uh, to visit one of the places that J.K. Rowling, it was inspired. Uh, she was teacher here in the 90s, between 91 until 93. And of course, um, she was influenced for the, the architecture for all the city, not just the bookstore. Nowadays, we have books in different languages, uh, English, French, Spanish, Italian, German and Portuguese. Sometimes we have some books in Russian uh, or Polish, but um, we want to be uh, continue to be a bookstore because a lot of bookstores are closing now. What is also fascinating in the beginning, when the two brothers decided to create a, a monument for books, they used materials that wasn't common. Like for example, all these, it's not wood. It's uh, yeah. it plaster. Yeah, it's painted plaster. You can see it here, the white parts. And also the staircase, it's not uh, made by wood, it's uh, made by concrete. It was the first time in Portugal that you use concrete inside of the building. Oh, it's majestic, majestic and magical. How do you say you're a wizard, Harry, in Portuguese? Feiticeiro. <laughs> Harry, Harry Potter. Yeah. Feiticeiro. When you said that you're keeping it alive as a bookshop first and foremost, because yeah. it'd be easy to just have you know a few Harry Potter things and then maybe some popular books, but it's actually such a diverse and comprehensive yes. selection of books that you can come and get. Like there's just looking around, this is it really is still a bookshop yes. at its core. So the doors have now opened, people have streamed in. There was quite a substantial queue here when we got, um, when we arrived at nine and it's only growing. So it's becoming quite the hubbub of activity. Um, one of the other first things you notice when you come in here, besides the fact that it's just so incredibly grand, is the train track lines on the floor. And then if you look deeper into the store, you see exactly what their purpose is. There's this big wooden trolley, which is full of books, and they use it to, to restock the shelves. So instead of having to, to carry armfuls of books to the shelves, Fill up the trolley, push it to and through. 
a clever idea. Yeah, so it's five euros to get in. But, but you can redeem that against a book. Yeah, so the five euros is actually kind of Just double whammy. You yeah. can invest it into getting a book, and it's a really nice little memory, actually, because you could pick up you know, something that you might not read otherwise, might not find otherwise, and it'll always be a memory of your time exactly. here in Porto as well. Oh, okay. I'm quite scared. We're about to do something that we didn't think we'd actually ever do. Um, no. We're going to get in a helicopter, which a few days ago just seemed really, really cool. And now I'm looking at a helicopter, it seems a little bit scary. Yeah, we've got, we've got an absolutely perfect day for it. Oh, it's yeah. a little bit of cloud in the sky, but it's blue skies mostly and it's sunny. Oh, I'm a bit... Oh, oh, oh. I wish I hadn't had so much fish at lunch. <laughs> There's only two blades. That doesn't look like enough to keep it in the air. So as utterly incredible as the helicopter ride was, and it really, really was, we know that a lot of people aren't going to be able to do that. So we think that the next best way to see what the city has to offer is to take a riverboat cruise, usually done at around the sunset time, so you get the incredible golden hour light, and you get to see the Porto side of the river and Gaia on the other side, and a real appreciation of sort of the geographical setup of the Greater Porto area. The story of Porto really is so intertwined with the river and how it takes everything to and from the sea, including the port barrels. You can just hear the tram, the yellow and grey tram going over the modern bridge right now in the background. Having gone on this visit to both sides of it and gone above it now, like understanding how, how pivotal the river is to everything that Porto has been brought up on, from the sardines and the sea trade, uh, the wine, the port, Maybe that means everybody needs two trips to Porto. The first one to get completely astounded by the architecture and then the second one to understand why it all is like the way it is. Just about to go underneath the San Luis Bridge, which is, I think after having seen all six bridges earlier, I think it's probably my favorite. So yeah, just going under the metal portion that carries the cars and the, the pedestrians. And I've got all the beautiful, colorful houses of Riviera on the left-hand side and some of the port cellars on the right-hand side. And this is uh, supporting the city of bridges as well. Uh, and this boat tour, I think, is one of the best ways to kind of see them all. Yeah, absolutely. Bright sunny morning here and we are just about to head back to the airport. Yeah, that's our time in Porto up. I've seen a lot more, more than I realised there was actually here. Yeah, last time I didn't really appreciate it, but there's kind of Porto and then next to it there's, opposite it there's Gaia, and then next to it there's Matasinos, and then I thought they were kind it. of neighbourhoods, Yeah. but they're not neighbourhoods, they're different cities, but they're all right next to each other and you yeah. probably don't realise when you're going from one to the other. How many pastas de nata did you eat this trip, Emily? Do I include the little ones? The we'll little say. ones count half, yeah. Okay. Actually, not as many as you're making out. I went two whole days here without one. That is true. 
I may true. have had several in the final day, and then you made up for lost time. <laughs> so should we head off to the airport now? Yeah, we got somewhere new to try. For more information on our trip to Porto, you can find full details via the Try Somewhere New section on Reiner.com. Be sure to check out the other episodes of this podcast too, as we explore Bologna, Bordeaux, Krakow and Malta. Don't forget to subscribe, follow or favourite this show in your usual podcast app and drop us a rating and review if you enjoyed listening. This was a Boom Shakalaka production for Ryanair, produced by Arlie Adlington. Listener.